Let's pray. Heavenly Father, let the words of my mouth, the meditations of my heart, be acceptable in your sight. May you be given all praise and honor and glory. My rock, my redeemer, my strength, my God. In Jesus' name, amen. If I were to ask you to describe a loved one, someone you knew well, you'd be able to do that. You would not only be able to describe them physically, right, what they look like, but more importantly, you'd be able to describe their character. What's their nature? What are their strengths? What are their likes, their dislikes? And actually, the more you know someone, the more you love them and our relationship with them, the greater are you are able to describe them in the true sense. So now if I were to say, describe God to me, what would you say? I mean, that, that, that's a, a, a showstopper, isn't it? A conversation stopper. Describe God to me. People go like, uh, love, maybe, right? You might get out love there, but you would probably struggle. I know most people would struggle in describing who God is. What's his nature? What does he like or not like? So today is Trinity Sunday. It is a day in which we delve deeper into who God is. And not just for a greater understanding, but for a greater relationship with Him. Because when you know God, you love Him more. And when you love Him more, you naturally want to do things that honor Him, to live according to what He says. And when you start to live according to Him and His Word, there is greater love, joy, and peace that surpasses understanding. So today isn't just, oh, it's Trinity Sunday. Today is a day about relationship. It is about love. It is about joy. So let's begin understanding ever more our God. So let me start with a very fundamental question. And the fundamental question is, how many gods do we worship? One. One God. That's what it talked about there quite a bit, right? One God in the Athanasian Creed. We believe in one God. Why is this important? Well, it's important to distinguish this because there are many other religions in the Old Testament and today that believe in many gods, multiple gods or many gods. For example, Hinduism, depending on how you count, has upwards of 33 million gods. One count, depending on one reading, puts it at 330 million. But there is a religion that was founded in America that rivals Hinduism. Let me give you a hint. It, the headquarters is in Salt Lake City, Utah. Mormonism. Mormonism rivals 
Hinduism because in Mormonism, there would be millions of gods. So how does that work? And by the way, we have a guide about what Mormons believe. It's called the Ambassador Guide to Mormonism. It's in the back, on the back table. So Mormons believe that their Heavenly Father was once a man on a different world, worshiping his Heavenly Father. And he progressed and was exalted to godhood by faithfully obeying his Father. So if you are a faithful and obedient Mormon, you too can progress to Godhead. And you too can be a god. This is what Mormons believe. They don't lead with this, obviously. So there are millions of Mormons God, Mormon gods according to their faith. But God said, no. There is but one God, one God alone. And this is what he declares. And he declares this throughout Scripture. In the Old Testament, there's a very important section in Deuteronomy. It was from our reading today. It's called the Shema. Shema means hear. And it says, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and with all your might. Now, this is not just the Old Testament. When Jesus was asked uh, what was the most important commandment in the Old Testament, well, it says this in the Gospel of Mark. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another, and seeing that he answered them well, he asked Jesus, which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And then he said, you are to love one God with everything that you have, your heart, your soul, your, your might. See, one God and one alone. And you are to have a relationship with him and him alone and nothing else. No other gods. As a matter of fact, this is also important because we find this where? In the first commandment of the, of the Ten Commandments. Exodus chapter 20. I'm going to read verses 2 through 6. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness or anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God visiting iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. It's clear throughout Scripture there is one God and you are to have a relationship with Him and Him alone. Not diluted by anything else, not false idols or anything else. And this also would include hobbies, money, 
gambling, uh, video games, anything else, anything that you can imagine, you are not to be devoted to them more than you are to God. Because when you are devoted to them more than you are to God, then they become your idols, your false gods. This is what the first commandment really delves into. And when it says, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, he says, I am protective of that relationship. And I want that relationship to be a very close, close relationship. Spending four days a week, four times a week in my word, will give you a life that you don't even know existed beforehand. This is the type of relationship. This is the type of protection that he has for you. I mean, the old stereotype is the husband come home, comes home, reads the paper, eats, watch TV, goes to bed, and doesn't spend any time with the wife. The wife would be jealous of what's going on because she wants that relationship just as our Heavenly Father wants that relationship with you. Does that make sense? That's what he's talking about here. So we believe in one God who wants that full loving relationship with you. One God in three persons. And so now we come to the Trinity. So when we speak of Trinity, in a literal sense, we mean tri-unity. Okay? A unity of three. Now, there are some people who will say, well, the Bible doesn't use Trinity, so how can you believe in that? And I say, well, you know what? You're correct. The Bible does not use the word Trinity. We use that word to help us describe what the Bible declares, what God declares. That's simple, right? So if somebody tries to throw you off base with your faith and say, oh, the Trinity isn't even there, you can kind of go, well, so what? <laughs> and they'll be like, what? I didn't expect that one. So what does the Bible describe, though? It describes three persons. What's a person? A person is someone who has a distinct identity. That there are three persons of the Trinity is clear because they are spoken of in a very distinct manner. From our reading in Matthew, right? From the Great Commission, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He does not say baptize them in the name of God, who sometimes appears as the Father and the Son, and maybe sometimes appears as the Holy Spirit. He says the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and in the name of. So Jesus himself in this great commission is distinguishing each person of the Trinity. You know, Jesus prayed to the Father. The Father spoke from heaven of the Son at the baptism, right? Even at Jesus' baptism, the Father spoke and the Holy Spirit was there as well. Three persons. Now, it helps us to distinguish each person of the Trinity by what they do, the function of the Trinity. 
each person of the Trinity has a special function. Okay, so the Father planned salvation. The Son accomplished it on the cross and the, at the resurrection, and the Holy Spirit applies it to the lives of believers. So we see that each has a specific function or role. But I have to make sure that it is clear for you that they are in perfect harmony with each other. Perfect, loving harmony. Unlike mythology, right? Greek gods were and Roman gods, they're always warring with each other. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit are in perfect harmony. There is never disunity. There is always tri-unity, perfect love. Now, I don't know about you, but I have never experienced a perfect, harmonious human relationship. Even with a man and a woman who marry and love each other. And you've seen couples that as they grow older, they even start to look like each other, right? Even in those relationships, it's not perfect harmony by any means. So Billy Graham's wife, Ruth, she was asked about her marriage, if she ever thought about divorce. And she said, in all my years of marriage, I have never thought about divorce. Murder, yes, but not divorce. The Father perfectly loves the Son. The Son perfectly loves the Father. The Holy Spirit loves the Son, loves the Father, and so on. Perfectly, a perfect reunion. And there is no other religion, no other faith in which there is this perfect harmony. So you might ask, well, how can they be in perfect harmony, right? How can that be? That boggles the mind. And the answer is this, because they are of the same essence. Essence, that which is essential for its existence. If you altered it, it wouldn't be that thing. For example, water, right? H2O. If I altered this even a little bit, it wouldn't be water, would it? As a matter of fact, here. Hydrogen peroxide. It's only 3% strength, by the way. Looks the same, doesn't it? No smell? No smell? One will give you life. The other... Well, 3% might not kill you, but if it was pure hydrogen peroxide, it'd kill you, wouldn't it? Life, death. If you change, and by the way, this hydrogen peroxide is H2O2. This is H2O. All I'm doing is changing one little thing. Life-giving, death-giving. What you believe about God really does matter. Now they have the same essence. Okay? And we talked about that in the Athanasian Creed. Same substance, same essence. This was a big deal, especially regarding Jesus. 
As a matter of fact, there were people in the early church that said, he's not God. He is a created being. He's like God, but he's not God. And so the Council of Nicaea in 325 said, no, he is of the same substance. He is God himself. And that's why in the Nicene Creed, they really spell it out. The only begotten Son of God, begotten of His Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father. That's that essence. Okay, so now we're getting to really the character, the essence of who God is. This is where we get into this description of who God is. And what is the essence of God? Well, here are a couple of things. The omnis. He's omnipotent, which means he is all-powerful. He is omniscient, which means he is all-knowing. He is omnipresent, which means he is present everywhere. There is a place where he is not, cannot be. He is eternal. He is immutable. That means he doesn't change. This is in contradiction to all the progressive churches that say, well, God's been changing along the way. No, he's immutable. He does not change. God does not evolve. He is also truth. He is truth itself. He is the source of all truth. He is holy, which is pure. He is just and righteous. He is loving. He is merciful. He is gracious. If you don't have any one of these elements, these essence, it's not God. Not God. Life or death. You see, this is what truly separates us from the Mormons, from the Jehovah's Witnesses, from Oneness Pentecostals. And they believe that there is one God, but that God just manifests himself in different modes. There's not actually a separate person of Jesus. Also, the Unification Church. Uh, we grew up calling them Moonies, Reverend Young Sung Moon. Um, but they also believe, very similar to uh, Oneness Pentecostals, that Jesus is not God. This is the separating line. In so many, not only just the Christian faith, but even Christian denominations, those who have gone astray. Joshua says, choose you this day whom you follow. As for me and my house, we will follow the Lord. I put blue tape under the bottom of this one. But see how you how you are going to stop me? That's the response you should have inside anyway when somebody says they're a Mormon or Jehovah's Witnesses or something else. You can go, no, 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 no. That's death. That's not life. That's death. This is water. I don't use props very often, but every once in a while, right? So, we need to know who God is evermore. When you understand 
When you truly know our God who loves you, you should understand what is essential to him. See, what does it mean, right? These, these are big words. What does it mean to be omnipotent? And how do you get a handle around that? Well, there's the song, How Great Thou Art, right? O Lord my God, when I in awesome wonder consider all the works thy hand hath made. Right? There, there is the omnipotence of God. And then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee, how great thou art, how great thou art. You see, that song moves people because they understand God in a better way. Also, that Christ died. There's the whole, whole phrase in there about Christ dying for us. I scarce can take it in. See, then you understand the love of the Father who sent the Son and the Son who went to the cross for you. And then sings my soul, my Savior God, to thee, how great thou art. How great thou art. And there's another song, Amazing Grace, that when you really read it, when you think about it, amazing grace that saved a wretch like me. You understand that he saved a wretch like me. And then you understand his grace, his mercy. You see, by this, you come to know God evermore. You, and, and this is pretty interesting. I just thought of this, but you know how couples, they start to look like each other when they, after they've been married for a long time? When you're in your faith, you know who you start to look like? Jesus. You start to be conformed into his image. That's what happens. And there's where the joy, the peace that surpasses understanding. That's what happens. So we have one God, three persons, triunity. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So who's the Father, who's the Son, who's the Holy Spirit? Let's do just a little bit of that, okay? So God the Father. God the Father, throughout Scripture, He is referred to as Father, and He has the power of creation. In Job, it says, Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy? He has the power of creation. And he is to be worshipped. He has the power, he is the object of our worship. Jesus told the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman, yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. But he's not just a father out there with all of creation, the power of all creation, nor is he just wanting to be worshiped. He is also a father who loves you very intimately. Jesus called him Abba, which is that term of endearment. It talks about the closeness of God, and that is who the Father is. Yes, he is holy, he is transcendent, but he protects us, he cares for us, he guides us, even through the hardest times. 
So let's talk about the second person of the Trinity, God the Son. So a lot of people have an easy time of thinking God the Father, right? But then God the Son, and this is where it becomes a problematic for many, many people. God the Son. So what does Scripture say about the Son? In the beginning of John's Gospel, it makes it clear, without doubt, that He is God Himself. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Or in the Greek, it actually says, and God was the Word. So you can't separate the two. Our reading from Colossians. For by Him all things were created. This is speaking of Jesus. For by Him all things were created. Well, who can create all things but God? In heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Him and before Him. And is, He is before all things. So is he, He's eternal. And He is before all things. And in Him all things hold together. Without Christ, nothing would be held together. Now, here's another thing. Some people believe that Jesus only showed up in the New Testament. He just popped up in the New Testament. But if he's eternal, he would be throughout, wouldn't he? As a matter of fact, you can find Jesus throughout the Old Testament. So, there's one thing that Jesus said to the Jews. They were arguing with him regarding Abraham, their father. And he said, before Abraham was, I am. Now, this enraged the Israelites, the Jews who were listening to him. They wanted to kill him for that. Well, why? Before Abraham was, I am? If you look at that sentence, what he said, before Abraham was, so before Abraham existed, I existed. I existed before Abraham. But that's not what they really got upset with him about. Because he said, I am. M. And the way he said it corresponds to the Lord's name in the Old Testament, Yahweh, or I am. When Moses asked the Lord's name, the Lord said, I am. I am who I am. So when Jesus said before Abraham was, right, he existed beforehand. It also meant that he was claiming the same divinity as Yahweh, Lord God. So Jesus is the second person of the Trinity who loves you so much that he came, suffered, died, and rose again, all that you may be forgiven, that you may be set free the third person of the Trinity is God, the Holy Spirit. Now, if you've been here, we've spent actually the last four weeks on the Holy Spirit. And hopefully you can already see that He is God Himself. He possesses the same attributes as God or the essence, the characteristics. 
So he is associated with God the Father in creation. He works with the other persons of the Godhead, the Trinity, for the work of redemption. And we spent a long time about that, about how the Holy Spirit convicts people of sin and points them towards Christ. And he also is associated with the Father and the Son with the name of God. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, who is God, and the Son, who is God, and the Holy Spirit, who is God. He's even in a benediction. Paul in 2 Corinthians writes this, The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. This is our God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And even though I said the first member of the, of the Trinity and the second and the third, you can distinguish them, but you can't rank the Trinity, which is what people do. There's the Father, there's the Son, and somewhere there's the Holy Spirit, right? One God, three persons. You can distinguish them, and you should but you can't rank them. Because if you somehow can rank them, then they're not God. Does that make sense? So, in our church here, we've been focusing on all three. There are a lot of churches um, within the Lutheran denomination, I would say, who don't spend much time on the Holy Spirit. The focus is Christ Jesus because the Holy Spirit does point us to Christ Jesus in the gospel. But we have to understand the work of the Holy Spirit in this. And so we give him all glory and honor and praise as well. So we praise the Father, we praise the Son, and we praise the Holy Spirit. One God, three persons who are all working in unity of love for you. All three persons of the Trinity are working in unity of love for your good. Out of love, the Father sent the Son. Out of love, the Son went to the cross. Out of love, the Holy Spirit convicts you, sanctifies you. And in doing that, the Son is glorified. And when the Son is glorified, the Father is glorified. Gets kind of heady, doesn't it? Yeah, brains are full. So, here's what I'd like you to do this week. This week. Each day this week, read the Shema. Memorize it. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And then meditate on how the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are working in unity of love for your good to their glory. Amen? Amen.